As we know from the scriptures, Jesus spent his earthly ministry basically doing a few things. Healing the sick, hanging out with the movers and shakers of the temple at that time, the Pharisees and other religious leaders. But also he spent a lot of time hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and other sinners. But perhaps what he did the most was he spent his time teaching. Teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Teaching about the kingdom of God. And he did this in parables. Parables, as we know, are kind of like metaphorical stories. Ways of, of, of creating a picture of something that we in ourselves, in our earthly lives, don't have any way of attaining. But Jesus gives us a glimpse of his heavenly kingdom through these parables. And the people were enthralled by these stories. Because the stories are very colorful and interesting. There are characters that, that, that really stand out in our minds. There's always those great reversals in the parables where the unexpected happens. And Jesus uses these parables, as I said, to give us an image of what his heavenly kingdom looks like. It's a, familiarity breeds uh, contempt, as they say, and so sometimes it can be for us, as we've heard these parables time and time again, to kind of overlook them and to kind of miss what's going on. But the parables are meant to be very um, evocative, yes, but also they're meant for us to understand and unpack because they're meant for us too, as the hearers of them, to understand the nature of God's kingdom. And so as we read today's parable, and indeed as we read any parable, there are a few things we need to keep in mind. The first thing is, the parables, as I said, are about the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is more than just some far-off reality outside of time and space where God dwells with the angels and the saints, although that's part of it. But there's more to it than just that. Because remember, when Jesus is coming to the people, he says what to them? He says, the kingdom of God is near you. And he's not just meaning to say that the kingdom of God is there for those who want it, although that's part of it. He's saying, the one who is saying this, Jesus himself, is the earthly embodiment of the entirety of the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom of God in the flesh, standing before the people. So the key to unlocking the parables is always going to involve Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' act of being present, the Word made flesh. So to understand the parables, we have to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. The other thing about the kingdom of heaven and the parables is, as I've said, it's not merely about some reality outside of space and time that is the stuff of religious fantasy. It is also very practical and tangible. Because what does Jesus do when he ascends into heaven? Does he just say, oh, well, everyone hang tight until I come back and just kind of just keep your heads down and just wait? No. He gives to his apostles and those who follow in their wake a mission and a ministry the same mission and ministry that he had. 
to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to all people, teaching them and baptizing them. So he gives them a purpose. And in this way, the church is the earthly embodiment of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. When Natalie and I lived in Japan, we were invited to the Canadian embassy in Tokyo, along with other Canadian teachers. And it was a really neat experience because to get into the embassy, we had to show our Canadian passports. We had to prove that we were Canadian citizens, that we were allowed to be on sovereign Canadian soil in the midst of downtown Tokyo. It was neat to be in there and see all this Canadian stuff. Canadian, I think, was there a Mountie there? I think there were, they were I remember there being uniform, a uniform Mountie, which in Canada is not really that big a deal, but when you're in a foreign country, to see your own police force represented is quite something. To have Canadian food in the midst of other Canadians in foreign soil was kind of a neat experience. And that is what the church is. It is the earthly embassy of the kingdom of heaven. What we are offering people is a tangible experience of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. But like the parables, just a glimpse, just a taste. Because the fullness of the heavenly reality will not come about until Jesus returns. And that's why we kind of live in between times. The kingdom of heaven is already, it's already here in its earthly form, the church, but it's already, but it's also not yet. We are waiting for that time when Jesus says, I will bring the fullness of my heavenly kingdom on earth. We see this lovely picture in Revelation 21 and 22 of Jesus bringing his heavenly kingdom down to earth. And we're waiting for that. I've heard one person describe this kind of in-between period like the period in between D-Day and V-E Day. On D-Day, the victory of the Allies over the Nazis was assured. But the fullness of that victory was not realized until V-E Day. So as the embassy of the kingdom of heaven, we, the church, are occupying this in-between time. So with these things in mind, let's dive into our parable for today. Knowing that the kingdom of God that's being described, Jesus is talking about us, the church, here today, as much as he's talking about the future reality of when he returns again. I'm not a big royal watcher. I mean, yes, I'm an Anglican cleric and, and prayers for the queen and prayers for the royal family are part of our Anglican piety, but I wouldn't say that I'm a big royalist in the way that some people are. But, like a lot of people, when Prince William and um, Catherine Middleton were married, I watch part of the service, partly for the pomp and the circumstance, partly because I wanted to see what, the, what uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, how he would preside at the service and, and what his homily would be like. Same thing when Prince Harry and um, Megan. <laughs> Megan were married. We all laugh, yes. The world watches, or when Prince Philip died, okay? Like, there's something important that happens even if we don't see ourselves as really good royal subjects. So can you imagine in our parable the response of the people? They've been invited 
to the prince's wedding and the people don't care. Not interested. But you've been invited to this great wedding feast that the king himself is throwing. Whatever. So the king says, okay, this is a bit surprising. The people are not really too interested. Well, I'll try again. So he sends out his slaves, his servants again, and he says, remind the people there's a big party coming on. It's a big party. All the people in the kingdom, the who's who are going to be there. I've put out my best food. I've put on the all the bells and whistles for this ceremony. Remind the people that a big party is coming. Maybe then they'll come. The servants go out and they make fun of the king. Again, what kind of reaction is that? The king is inviting you to a feast and the people laugh in his face because his ambassadors, the people are just like, you didn't get it the first time. We're not interested. And now, now we're going to make fun of you because clearly you are not getting the picture. And they went on their way. They went back to their lives, to their farms, to their businesses, to their everyday life. The king doesn't really matter. And think about it. The prince who's getting married is going to be the person who is the next in line to the heir of, he's the heir of the throne. And the people could care less. Like, they're citizens of this country and it just doesn't matter to them. So he tries again. And the people take the servants and kill them this time. This king just doesn't get it. We are not interested in him, his kingdom. We are not interested in the prince, the princess, none of that. And the only way to stop hearing about this damned wedding is to kill the servants. Oops. The king, it says, was enraged. I wonder why. So he sends his troops, destroys those murderers, and burns their city. They were invited, they didn't get the picture, and so the king says, okay, my guests have now become my enemies, because they've not only refused my invitation, they've killed the very people that I've sent to go invite them to this feast. So the king says, I want my banquet hall to be filled. I want the people to know the joy of this celebration. So he sends the servants out and just says, bring everyone you can. He goes into, it says it goes into the highways and the byways. He goes into all the streets. He tried the nobility. He tried the people that, you know, were something. They weren't interested. So he goes into the back alleys of the world. He goes into those dark places. He goes and he finds the broken. He goes and he finds the people that are probably desperate for a meal. And he says, come to the wedding. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The people that were hungry, the people that the king probably would not normally, or that people would probably pay no mind to, the nobodies. But they are there to celebrate with the king. And they all lived happily ever after. No, no, <laughs> the parable continues. The king is going around, he's greeting the guests. Thank you for coming, thank you for coming. So glad that you could be here. This is such an exciting day. I'm glad you could be here. And then he notices that one of the people who's there is not wearing their wedding robe. It would, this, is not, this is not like someone showing up at a wedding and wearing their street clothes. It's more akin to the bridesmaid or one of the bridesmaids not wearing the dress that was bought for her 
or one of the groomsmen not wearing the tuxedo or the suit that was bought for him. Because in first century Palestine, when a wedding invitation went out, it came with a gift. And that gift was a gift of a robe that you would wear to the wedding. So this person, who's come from the highways and byways of the world, has come to the wedding, but has says, I'm not really interested in wearing the robe. Maybe he didn't like the color, maybe he didn't like the cut, who knows. But the idea was, you wear this robe when you're going to a wedding. And the king says, bind him hand and foot and bring him out. He's under here under false pretenses. He's not coming to truly celebrate. He's just coming to take advantage of the food. Okay, so what does all this have to do with our life here and now in the church as ambassadors, as an, ambass as an embassy of the kingdom of God? Well, it has to do with invitation. It's all about invitation. Do you realize that no one who was invited at the beginning, they were all invited. They didn't end up coming, the original group, but they were all invited. The kingdom of God is open for all people. All are invited. All are invited. We look around the church in our culture, in our age, and we wonder, how do we grow the church? We look around and we see people are not interested in religion or Christianity. People are not interested in any of it. They just don't care. It sounds kind of like the parable, doesn't it? Not interested king, could care less. We see people actually ridiculing the church. Not just merely pointing out the sins of the church, which are myriad, and I'm not going to defend the church for where it has gone wrong. Lord, have mercy on us. But openly ridiculing the church. We can see this on late night television and any other places. Um, religion is openly mocked. Christianity in particular. And the killing of the servants. We know that churches are being burned in Canada. We know that priests, not in Canada, thank God, but in other places of the world, are openly killed. For, for leading people. Kind of sounds like the parable, doesn't it? So what do we do in this midst? How are we to grow the church? Well, as a priest, I am sick and tired of every book and every program and every workshop that gets thrust upon us that says, this is the way that will solve all the church's problems. If you follow this book, if you follow this program, this, this, is going to make all the difference. But like in Jesus' time and like in the parable, no program or book is going to fix people's apathy, people's hostility, people's ridicule. The reality is we don't grow the church. We're not qualified for that. We are not asked to do that. God grows the church. God grows the kingdom. But as his ambassadors, we do have a role to play. Our role is to invite. All are invited. Some will we will invite and they will accept and they will say yes. Some will accept and say yes and then they will eventually leave because something comes up in life that, you know, hockey practice or dance class or COVID or any other reason 
I'm there until it suits me, and when it doesn't suit me, I'm gone. And some will refuse. But that's the same it's always been in the history of the church, isn't it? But our job is simply to invite. To invite people to be part of what God is doing in our midst. Invitation is a scary thing for a lot of people because I don't want someone to say no. But it's not our job to say no for other people. Our job is simply to invite. The number tells me there's 42 people here on that count, and Judy's pretty accurate counter. How does God grow the church? One by one. If all of us invited one person, and if one person said yes, 42 would become 84 like that, doubled. That's how math works. God grows his church one by one, one invitation at a time. We can't be scared of the invitation because we are invited and we have received that. It's all about invitation. Going out as ambassadors from the embassy and inviting people to the wedding feast. Because my friends, we are about to feast. We are going to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what the Eucharist is. The wedding feast of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. It may not seem like a big party. There's not a lot of wine involved, and unfortunately you are not able to have it until such a time as all this ends. And you don't really get enough to really get a buzz on either. It's just a little sip. But it still is a party because it's a small earthly foretaste of the glory that awaits us when Christ returns. Why wouldn't we invite people to this? Why wouldn't we be excited about the life that Christ is inviting us to? God grows the church one by one. We are part of that one by one because our growth is never done. Our internal growth, our growth into what God wants to make us. And then we go and we invite others. And some of you may be thinking, yeah, but what about all that judgy stuff in the parable and all that other stuff? God's judgment is simply based on our acceptance of a party, of, of our acceptance to an invitation of a party that is underway on our behalf because of the price that Christ has already paid for us. Our job is simply to, our job is simply to accept this invitation. And once we've accepted it, to go out and to invite others. It's as simple as that. So my friends, may God find us faithful in our invitation, in accepting that invitation to us in our own lives and in going to others and inviting them as well. Amen.